Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is um, continuing to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals. Uh, we consistently are being added to lists of the best podcasts to listen to, and that is really because of the great guests who join me to have a conversation. They share their expertise so that all of you, our listeners, can grab the things that you need, and take them into your business so you can be more successful. My guest today is um, Michael Haynes. Michael is a B2B customer strategy specialist. He has over 20 years' experience working with companies in Australia, Brazil, and Canada, helping them to develop and implement customer-driven strategies and programs to drive business growth and improve performance. Michael's worked with startups, and SMEs across a range of industries, including professional services, IT, and transportation. He's an advisor with Startup Canada, as well as a mentor with the University of Technology, Sydney. Thanks so much for joining me today, Michael. Thanks for having me, Diane. I am thrilled to have you. This topic of, um, you know, we're going to be talking about pursuing B2B uh, customers as a means for growing your business. And I think uh, a lot of people um, struggle with that and or, or they're just not sure how to go about it. So uh, we have a lot we're going to talk about on that subject. And I would actually like to start with um, a, a question I have about surveys 
And if you think surveys have a role in helping a salesperson or a company listen to their customers and listen to the market so they can find growth opportunities. Yes, Diane. Uh, surveys have a role to play when you know specifically what exactly you are measuring. But in terms of really trying to get a strong understanding of your markets and your customers, surveys really are not the way to do it. Um, to succeed in business to business, it's really important that entrepreneurs, SMEs, really get an understanding of who the buyers and the buying group are, what are their key objectives, their motivations, uh, what are their key priorities, key initiatives on their agenda. Uh, and the only way that you really can get a strong understanding of that is by really engaging in, in dialogue, having a discussion with members of those buying groups to really probe and understand what's important to them, how they're looking for you as a supplier to them to add value. Hence, in order to really understand your customers and understand what you need to be doing in terms of your product, your service offerings, your value adds, it's about having those discussions with the members of the buying group so that you can really understand how your organization can help serve them. And so that hopefully you can become a long-term advisor and partner to those organizations. Oh, I love that. That, that is really great. I, I think uh, people so often miss this idea of just actually reaching out and having the conversation to get the answers. Like sometimes I wonder if it's because they are afraid that the answer won't be uh, the thing that they have to sell or that people aren't going to want to have the conversation with them or, you know, something that really stops them from just actually engaging in that dialogue. Yes, Diane, and actually the, it's really the complete opposite when you're dealing in B2B, particularly when you're going after larger organizations. Your senior buyers, uh, those involved in the buying process, your senior executives, they definitely are keen to have a dialogue and have a discussion with you as a supplier because they want to make sure you understand what's on their radar, what's important to them. Because in many instances, it's important in terms of driving both business performance, but their own personal objectives as well. And often I've found there's often the default to do nothing as opposed to doing something. So they really need to be very comfortable that you as a supplier really get what's important to them, what they're trying to achieve, what are their challenges. So having that dialogue um, is very important. Uh, senior executives, buyers are more than happy to have that discussion because they want to make sure you're clear that you're delivering value to them in the means that they require. That's great. So they really are looking for solution providers and they know that they have to share information in order to get the, the right um, resources. Is that what it comes down to? Absolutely, Diane. Yeah, they really want to share that information so that you can provide value to them um, to help them meet their objectives. And it may be not just providing the, your core offering, but what additional insights, information, advice that you can provide them to help them achieve their objectives. That's what they're looking for in a provider. And that's really how you're going to win. But you can only really understand how you can deliver value, how you can bring new ideas and identify new opportunities to them by engaging in a discussion and a dialogue. Awesome. Okay. Let's talk about innovation for a minute because we, we live in a time when innovation feels like it's just like on warp speed. There, there is so much of it and there's a lot of conversation about it, but I'm wondering how these 
sales and marketing executives, you know, how, how they view this idea of innovation. Is it something they embrace? Um, yes, innovation is very much the buzzword um, these days, Diane. Um, but people tend to often, when they talk about innovation, they look at it in a very limited context in terms of either product innovation and or technology innovation. And while that is important, but if you are looking to really grow your business, if you want to remain competitive, you have to do what uh, many subject matter experts call business innovation. So looking at innovation in a much more broader context. So that could be about improving your products or your services, so product or service innovation. It could be about organizational innovation. So how do you structure your business? Who do you engage with partnerships, strategic alliances? Who might you co-create with? Uh, it can be about marketing innovation, and there are a lot of areas and ways you can marketing innovate. It could be around your processes. So you really have to look at innovation from a business innovation point of view, i.e. across those five kinds of innovation, and then look at what are the multiple ways your business can innovate based on the requirements of your markets and your customers so that you can deliver uh, to them. That's how you remain competitive. That's how you're going to be able to grow. Okay. So... If I'm hearing that correctly, that feels to me like the conversations come first, but you know, the conversations with the, with the marketplace come first, and then the innovation comes next based on what you learn in those conversations. Is that right? That's spot on, Diane. Absolutely correct. You really need to get an understanding of those markets and industries that you're focusing on, then the customers and the buyers within those, those markets that you're focusing on, finding out what's important to them in terms of what you're delivering, how you're delivering, how you're engaging with them, then that will then drive and develop your innovation plans or roadmap where you need to be focusing on. Is it around the products, the services? Is it around how you uh, co-create? How do you market? Combinations thereof. So yes, it's very much getting that understanding first of your marketing customers. That will then lead you where to focus your efforts in terms of innovation. And again, thinking about innovation from a business innovation context, as opposed to just around um, product. Yeah. So that's really great. That, that feels to me like it would save people a lot of heartache and a lot of expense guessing and, and going ahead and innovating and then discovering that, that they are not on the mark. Yes, that is quite correct. And it also enables startups and small medium businesses in particular to be quite competitive. Um, well, it allows businesses in general to be competitive. If you're constantly making sure you're in tune with your market and your customers, and then you're in innovating on those areas that are important to them, that's also how it keeps you competitive. Just focusing simply on the product or technology, um, you know, you're going to have your competitors, they're quickly going to jump on board and replicate that. It's by doing multiple forms of innovation, how you can deliver value to your markets and customers, remain competitive, uh, and you're going to be able to grow your business. Okay. So, I think there are probably people listening who are thinking to themselves, okay, I get it, I hear it. Um, but I have limited resources. I have limited money or staff or, you know, assets. So they're, they're feeling like, how are they going to be able to innovate if they are limited in the resources that they have? 
Very good point, Diane. So given uh, limited resources, which is something that pretty much I think most startups and small and medium businesses, that's one of their key constraints, is again really around understanding your customers and finding out really what's important to them. And then focusing in on those, it might be just one or two areas of innovation in terms of how you're going to be able to drive and deliver value. Uh, perhaps let's say for a startup, small, medium business, um, you are dealing with some sort of uh, complex techno uh, technical field. It might be ar around organizational innovation. So co-creating, working with that customer to develop a solution. So you might focus a lot of your efforts around one particular area, such as uh, organizational innovation. It might be around, let's say, focusing on your marketing. So there could be really opportunities for you to leverage some new kinds of marketing uh, types, such as influencer marketing, advocacy marketing, and focusing on that as a key way to innovate, improve, and help grow your business and deliver value to your customers. So again, it will, be, it will come from that listening, understanding your market and customers, understanding really what's important to them, identifying where in your business you have the strengths and you're able to deliver, and then really focusing in. So very much it's, a, it's around focus in terms around what your strengths are, what's feasible, what's possible, and what's going to deliver value to the customer that you're going after. Okay, thank you so much for that because I'm listening to it and I'm thinking to myself, okay, folks, embrace the fact that you have limited resources because it puts you in a position where you have to do the research first, which is what's going to serve you best. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great thing. Okay. Now, I, I have a somewhat, um, it's probably a shifted question. It probably shifts us to another topic, but I, I am really curious about this. this. This is one of these, you know, chicken and egg questions. What do, do you, how do I want to ask it? Do you think people should hire for skill or fitting in when the position they're hiring is one that's going to be driving growth? Uh, my view, Diane, is that you, you have to get both. I think in terms of skill, uh, I've been of the view, and from my experience, I think you need to get if you can try and get that 75, 80% of the skills that you need, because you often can skill people up and train them, um, but the fit and attitude to fit in your organization, that's critical. So I would say they, the people you're hiring need to have that 75, 80% of the skill set ideally, particularly when we're talking small, medium businesses, startups that have got limited resources. Um, so you do want them to have most of the skills, but they have to fit in your organization. They have to have the right mindset, being able to work with your uh, fellow employees, with your management team. That fit is critical. So it's a bit of okay. A, but I would Go leave, ahead. It's a bit of a what? It's it, it's a bit of it, you need to have both. Um, but I would say 75, 80 of in terms of skill, but you have to have that cultural fit. They have to be able to fit in your organization to work with your people uh, in order to succeed. Okay, so you can't sacrifice that, but you want to make sure that that you're not bringing in people who have no um, previous experience with revenue growth because trying to train them up is, is just you know, time you don't necessarily have, especially when your resources are limited. 
Yes. So you want them to have this, the, yeah, a majority of the skills that you're looking for, um, for that particular function or, you know, roles that you want them to fulfill. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. That's great. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Transform Your Company by Alex Vorobiev and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields both of whom have been guests on this podcast. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Michael Haynes about the, um, really the value of pursuing B2B accounts in order to accelerate the growth of your business. So, um, Talk to me about disruptive innovation, what that's about and how uh, a company can use it in their growth plan. Sure, Diane. So disruptive innovation is really when you're coming up, you're, you're really shaking things up. So it's often about introducing new, it can be about new products, new technologies that are new to the markets, new to the industries, and obviously the new to the customers that you're serving. Um, so it can be viewed from that product slash technology context. Disruptive innovation can also be around disrupting the business itself. So really turning your business model in terms of what you're offering, who you're going after, the kinds of offerings, customer experience, um, really shaking up the whole business model and way of doing business. So that's what disruptive innovation can be. So it can be either around disrupting and coming into something totally new in terms of product and technology or disrupting the business itself. Um, for startups and small, medium businesses, that can sometimes be uh, a bit of a challenge, which is why many organizations will take another form of innovation known as incremental innovation, which is more about making uh, more moderate incremental improvements and adjustments to what you're offering and how you're delivering to your market and customers. Okay, that, thank you for that because I, I was thinking to myself, why would a company, and, and if you have an answer to this, I would love to hear it, why would a company want to go through disruptive innovation? Are, are, there, are there like things that happen that force them into it or that present them with an opportunity to do it? Like, you know, how, how do they get to that place? So how do they get to that place? So in disruptive innovation, when we're talking in terms of uh, products and technologies, I think it's very much uh, the aspirations of many uh, startups in particular that, you know, they want to be the next Uber, the next Airbnb to come up with a total new way of, of product or new way of doing business and having those aspirations to then become, you know, that startup that takes off and that does great things on a global level. Um, so that is often a catalyst, particularly for those in um, very complex technical environments. Um, with respect to really disrupting the business model per se, that's more likely to happen if, if you're starting to see a real decline in your industry and your markets. 
in your overall performance and you just find that things just aren't working. Um, so despite your listening and trying to respond, you're still seeing a decline in your revenues and your market share. That's when you might be looking to really pivot and really alter the business model per se. Okay. Okay. I get it. Okay. So let, let's talk about um, this pursuing B2B. Talk to me about um, why that is, is such an important part of revenue growth. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe um, like an example process for, you know, if there's a small business owner listening and they are their own sales force and they can be selling to businesses, but they've been selling to individuals, um, how they could go about launching uh, a B2B selling process. Okay, so in terms of uh, why B2B, so B2B can be quite attractive if you have the right kinds of products and offerings that are gonna to appeal to business customers, obviously. Uh, it can be quite appealing uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, there's often a tendency you'll have much, your competitive set who you're competing against can often be on a much smaller scale. Um, as opposed to when you're selling products to consumers, you can have a lot more um, competitors that you have to deal with. Whereas in the business to business space, uh, particularly if you're in highly specialized, complex uh, fields that require um, particular kinds of skills and competencies, your comp competitive set can be much less. Another big reason why B2B can be quite uh, lucrative and quite uh, a true growth opportunity for startups and small and medium businesses is because business customers tend to be quite loyal when you are delivering and adding value to them because typically what you're providing to them is going to have a significant impact on them meeting the needs of their end customers and meeting their own business objectives so once business customers tend to find suppliers that are really delivering value to them and providing the kinds of products and services and advice for them they tend to stick with them and not only just stick with them and provide them further business they'll often refer them to their other colleagues and contacts um, other suppliers as well. So you can get that automatic um, cross-sell and upsell opportunities from your existing customers by serving your customer base quite well. In terms of how someone would start off in terms of getting into the B2B space, uh, I think first you need to yeah, do a little bit of research in terms of really understanding the markets that you're looking to go in um, and those industries, uh, understanding what's happening and really seeing if there's a fit and a need between what you offer and what the companies in those industries and markets provide. Then it's really about doing some legwork and grunt work. Uh, while business to business can be quite lucrative, there is a bit of work to be done in terms of finding, identifying the right kind of companies to go after. Then you need to start finding out you know, who are the key people that you want to be speaking with in those organizations so you can start to talk about your offerings, what you have, uh, to and how you could deliver value to those organizations. And, and that can take a little bit of legwork, particularly when you're going to larger organizations where there'll be multiple people involved, uh, potentially, in making a buying decision. Okay, that, that's so great. Now, Really, I, I appreciate that, and I hope that the listeners were taking notes during that because that 
was tremendously valuable. Um, and you said something before that I want to circle back to, which was um, as long as you have something that is valuable to a B2B market. And, and I have found people who sell something that is really business to consumer, and they're very good at it, business to consumer, but they want to sell it to businesses because they think that's where the money is. And that's where the money is, but not necessarily for them. So is it, do you think it's, it's a good idea, bad idea, you know, whatever it is to try and make a, a business to consumer product or service into something that's valuable for business or should people really just focus where their value is? What are your thoughts? Well, Diane, you really have to, again, that's why you have to do that upfront legwork and do the research, yeah. uh, finding out what's going on in the market, because it, it sort of a depends situation. Um, you really, and you have to do that research to find out what's going on, what are the key drivers, what are the priorities, what's happening in that particular industry, and does your offering, can it really tailor to the requirements of what's happening um, in a B2B context in certain industries and in certain environments? In some situations, yes, it might. Um, and you might have to modify your product or how you service and support it. And it can be a good fit, but in other cases it may not. So it would be a case of doing uh, a bit of research about the market. I would say start to talk to some potential prospects and target companies. And if you can talk to some people in those companies to get a sense of what's the mindset of the owners, senior management team, uh, key leaders in the organization of what are their priorities? What are they looking for? What are their challenges? What are they trying to achieve? And then you have to make that assessment as to whether or not your offering is really viable or not, whether it be in its current form or do you have to make some sort of modifications around um, how you offer it or do you have to add on some added like training, reporting, uh, coaching, et cetera, to make it viable in a B2B context. That's great. Thank you. I, I, I... Um, and once again, really hoping people are hearing that, that this is why, this is one of the reasons, and we keep circling back to doing that upfront research, going out and actually talking to the marketplace. Don't assume that you have something that's valuable. Go find out what they need, what's going on, and be really clear and honest with yourself about whether you have something that can be valuable and can be helpful to the B2B marketplace, because otherwise you're gonna spend your resources, however limited or, or abundant, it, trying to do something that you're just not gonna get traction on. You're absolutely right, Dan. And again, one point that I would add that when you're going after a larger organization, you want to make sure that you're really tapping into those who make the buying decision. Because a larger organization who makes the buying decision and who has a strategic priority and who's using your product and service offering can be different sets of people. Um, to give a quick example, IT is a perfect scenario. Those who are going to be actually using your IT software and solutions might be very different from the, the leaders and owners of that organization who have serious objectives about market expansion, acquiring certain kinds of customers. So you really need to get into the mindset of the buyer and finding out what they need and making sure you can deliver to them uh, and then 
act accordingly in terms of what you need to do within your own organization in terms of what you offer or how you deliver in terms of service level support etc so it's really making sure you tap into the buyers of your of the uh, product and service not just the users that's a great point okay yeah that that is a great point sometimes the buyer and the user are the same person most of the time especially in b2b they are not yeah or they're not the only user right yeah, it's particularly when you're going after those larger organizations, because many uh, small medium businesses, they want to get those big accounts, you know, they want to get the Americans, yeah. get into IBM, etc. And that's fantastic. But you need to do your legwork to find out for your particular type of offering, who are those people or group that group of people that are going to make the decision and tap into have discussions with them and tap into their mindset and find out what's on their radar, what keeps them up late at night, what are they looking to do? Yeah. Yeah, that's terrific. Okay. Uh, well, Michael, I, I got to tell you, um, I this so far really has been so valuable, and I'm really hoping that people listen to this um, a couple of times. I, I want to sort of shift from selling and ask you um, a marketing question. Sure. Um, a lot of us, when you say marketing, well, some people confuse marketing and selling. That's one thing. But a lot of people also think that marketing is just, you know, advertising or just social media. So can you talk about what you are seeing as some of the, like, the more recent approaches and innovations for B2B marketing that folks should know about? Sure, Diane. I would say that right now in the B2B space, there are really two forms of uh, marketing and innovations that startups and small medium businesses definitely really need to be tapping, tapping into and utilizing as part of their growth strategies. Uh, first one would be influencer marketing. So influencer marketing uh, is often very common in the business to consumer space. And when people hear about influencer marketing, they often think about the likes of, you know, the Oprah's or even the Simon Sinek's. Um, what have you. Um, influencers is all about in a B2B context is finding that for your particular industry, for your particular market, for the buyers that you're going after, who are the ones that influence them in making buying decisions? Because typically in B2B, buyers will always do their own research before they pick up the phone to uh, come to you or even if you proactively as a salesperson go to them, they chances are if they're looking to make a purchase, they will have already done their research. And part of that, they will have people that will influence them. And that could be people like industry experts, it could be bloggers, it could be journalists, it could be academics. Um, so it's very important that as B2B folks, in terms of your marketing, you find out again, the buyers, how they buy. Who do they talk to? What do they read? What do they listen to? And then you want to be tapping into those people, which are the influencers, and be trying to really uh, leverage and be marketing to them and try to work with them so that you can get the exposure, the reach, uh, the credibility um, for those buyers that you're seeking. So that would be one. The second one is what we call advocacy marketing. And it's all about relating to a point that I spoke about earlier, in which that B2B customers, when they have good suppliers, they will not only hold on to them and give them lots of business, but they will also refer their colleagues and contacts onto them. So what you want to do as a B2B service provider 
or supplier is to create what we call advocacy programs where you really um, encourage and you, you're really all about helping your customers uh, to be able to have them succeed, providing them opportunities to uh, promote their business, uh, interact with each other. So by, by creating that advocacy, those kinds of advocacy programs, you will generate that word of mouth so that um, your company is being talked about. Oh, very good. And Diana, both of these uh, methods, influencer marketing and advocacy marketing, it can take a bit of work, but they can be highly effective um, because with influencer marketing, influencers can have massive reach and influence to the buyers that you see. And often it doesn't require a lot of financial investment. It might be doing things like sharing blogs, sharing articles, um, uh, using the influencers as guest speakers, promoting what the influencers are doing through your social media, through your marketing activities. Similarly, with the advocacy uh, marketing, uh, it can be things like inviting them to your events, inviting them to breakfast, um, getting some of your customers to be able to participate in events and speak and, and guest blog. So it doesn't necessarily require a big investment, but the impact it can have in generating the exposure, the word of mouth, um, is extremely impactful. And in B2B, it's all about word of mouth. Because people will go to people who they know and who they trust first. Referral is typically one of the first steps in the uh, purchase decision process. Hence why these two are not necessarily cost, uh, a big cost investment, but the impact can be uh, quite exponential. That's terrific. Thank you. I, I, seriously, that, that is so, and it's something that really anybody can do. They just have to um, figure out what they, you know, who they're focusing on and what they want to do, which leads me to a question about strategy. Yes. Um, yeah. So talk to me some about the need for these small business owners and sales professionals and to, to even startups to have a strategy for driving growth. Yes, Diane, you, you need to have a strategy. Um, strategy is essential for business success, um, but conversely to what we often see in big corporate environments, conversely to what you see in many NBA classes, your strategy document should not be hundreds and hundreds of PowerPoint slides uh, to put you to sleep. Um, your strategy should be pretty short and sharp, but it's all about giving you, uh, telling you where to focus. It should be telling you about which markets, which customers, which industries you want to focus on, um, based on having an understanding of those markets, those customers, and also your own organization in terms of what your company's purpose is, what your company's trying to achieve, and what its strengths are. So it's knowing about where to focus, then by having an understanding of your markets and your customers, then knowing um, what you need to actually be doing. So what do you need to be delivering in terms of your products and services, how you need to deliver, how are you going to promote and engage with your, with your customers as well? Because that uh, engagement and interaction is quite key to be able to identify how you're going to continually improve and innovate and meet uh, your customers' needs and the needs of your market. So having a strategy and a plan is quite critical and quite important, but it should be, it's not an extensive document. It shouldn't be it's something that needs to be very live and iterative, iterative as you continually need to be engaging with your customers, understanding what's going on in the market, and then making sure you're making the necessary adjustments in terms of what you're delivering to them, how you're delivering to them, how you're engaging, 
and using that as your roadmap to say where in terms of business innovation we're going to focus our efforts so that we can continually to deliver value and we can be competitive and get those uh, kinds of customers that we seek. Terrific. <laughs> it, it, it's really because a lot of folks don't realize that they're <clears throat> going to be so busy doing so many things and this is the kind of thing that needs consistency to it. You have to be consistently participating in the process of growth or it's going to be, you're going to be stopping and starting and stopping and starting and finding it really uh, challenging. And at the same time, there's still other things that you have to be doing. So having a strategy gives you the opportunity to not really have to think about it. You just know what you're doing when you're doing it. Yes. So you will get yeah, absolutely, Diane, you're going to have a strategy, but it's about continually, you know, checking in and looking at, okay, we have our strategy. How are we performing? What's going on with our customers? What's going on in our markets? And then making the necessary adjustments and refinements as you go along. So it's, it's kind of an ongoing process as opposed to yeah. a one-off. Let's sit in a room for hours and hours and print and produce this massive PowerPoint deck. It should be something that is really ongoing in the organization because things are happening very quickly in today's environment, as we all well know. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. I, I'm so not a fan of the big, huge document. Um, so I love that you said that because you're right. It just, it needs to be a plan. You need to monitor it too. I like that as well, that you have to be monitoring it to make sure that it's working. And if it's not, you got to tweak it in, in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So great. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me and sharing this information. Will you let the listeners know how they can find you and, you know, what you've got going on? Sure. Uh, so, Diane, uh, listeners can find me at uh, my website called listeninnovategrow.com. It's a website that myself and my co-author have created, and it contains tools, templates, articles about uh, the B2B space and what startups and small and medium businesses need to do in order to understand the marketing customers, um, plan and manage and drive their growth. So that's listeninnovategrow.com. Uh, on that website, uh, there will also be uh, free chapters downloads for a new book that my author and co-author and I, Gareth Chandler, have just written, and it's called Listen, Innovate, Grow. Um, and the book is all about what you need to do to understand yourself, your customers, and your markets. How do you go about uh, planning your business and business innovating, and then how do you manage growth? And so, again, the downloads are on the website, listeninnovategrow.com, and the book can be purchased from uh, amazon.com. Awesome. That's so great. Thank you. And like I said, I mean, you know, thank you for joining me. Um, excuse me. I'd also like to thank our listeners and our sponsor. Uh, remember, uh, in order to get a free trial of audible.com and a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash business growth. And as always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Don't you know that you're a grown up?
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.